Hello, welcome to another Tuesday. Today's a little bit different. I recorded um, yesterday with a C-Mail Hotra, and so I've decided to put out part of that interview today. This is the Devil's Advocate round. He was absolutely on fire. He's brilliant at this, and he really took on all my points and battered them back with conviction, um, with real understanding and really thought through ideas. Um, and also, you know, he, he's somebody I really picked up who actually genuinely cares about our health as a nation, um, and that comes across really clearly. Now, this is a little snippet. You'll have you'll have the whole episode on Friday, so I hope you enjoy this um, and it. Comes Kind of gives you a bit of a sense of you know how on fire he was during the interview. Right, so enjoy this episode, and you'll have more on Friday. Have a lovely week, everyone. Well, I just want to go then into another round uh, of questions because I know your time is very limited, and it's called Devil's Advocate. So I'm going to give you some Devil's Advocate statements. I would like you Great, to yeah battle back with me a little bit. So I'm going to go to my sound effects department now. Devil's Advocate. There you go. Uh, <laughs> the budget Excellent. on this show is out of this world. Right, so let me just read these statements and then, you know, you can take me down or agree with me, but I doubt you will. Okay, encouraging people to eat more saturated fat is dangerous and irresponsible. And that's actually a quote I picked up from somebody who's throwing that your way. Over to yeah. you, Asim. Uh, two things. I don't encourage people to eat more saturated fat. So I've never said to eat more. Um, I would say that it's not, uh, uh, the minimum is not the major issue. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, at best, it's not at all linked. There's no consistent evidence showing that it links to the development of heart disease or death or stroke or really any any major health condition. That's where I would start from. So um, uh, I don't think that that statement, Dan, that is, is backed up with any evidence. And, and of course, there's always going to be nuances if someone was just to have a whole diet of pure bacon, for example, I don't think that would be particularly healthy. But the point I would make is that people shouldn't be avoiding saturated fat foods at high saturated fat, such as dairy, for example. You know, it. You know, what I advocate for is um, you know a, a, a kind of real food diet um, that minimizes and eliminates ultra processed food, is low in sugar and low in refined carbohydrates. And if you're following that type of dietary pattern, there's no evidence that you know saturated fat should be counted or be part of something you need to be worried about. Great. Okay, second one. We have an obesity epidemic because we've become lazy and don't move as much as we used to, which I guess we've kind of spoken about a little bit. But if you want to bat that one away, go for it. Yeah, so a lot of mixed evidence about whether we're actually doing less exercise than we used to do. Some Interesting data from the United States showing that over the years, the whole fitness industry has only developed in the last two or three decades. You know, there are more gyms than there used to be three, four decades ago. There's a suggestion that actually we are more active than we were three or four decades ago. So I'd start from there. Um, that doesn't mean that we have we don't we shouldn't tackle people being sedentary. So according to physical activity guidelines, you know, 150 minutes of moderate activity a week is what we should be getting. Um, and it, the suggestion from data in the UK is that only 60% of adults are doing that, and even less so, interestingly, from people from black and Asian and ethnic minority groups. So I would certainly encourage them to at least get that, that moderate level of activity up. And uh, But when it comes to, to obesity, I think there's very little link directly with, um, with being sedentary. I think the indirect link is that a lot of people that are sedentary, for example, at the extreme end, might be people that are also, you know, you know, so-called couch potato are going to be more vulnerable to watching advertising of junk food and therefore eat more junk food. But when you break it down, 
you know, ex lack of exercise. You know, I, let, let me just, I'll, I'll give you a quote. So this is um, uh, a man who is, uh, his name is Lord Ian McCall. He was uh, a one stage shadow health minister uh, when John Major was in opposition. And uh, he was uh, the rumored to be Margaret Thatcher's favorite doctor. Now I've met uh, Ian, he's, a, he's actually a former, he's a former surgeon, a very, very able, skilled uh, surgeon, did a lot of humanitarian work. Great guy, okay? And um, you know, he said to me, he said, and in fact, I quoted him in the Piopidae, my first book, he says, an obese, and he's just making a point, an obese person doesn't need to do one iota of exercise in order to lose weight, they just need to eat less. Just to explain that, by doing nothing, uh, Dan, our bodies, you know, will burn just for breathing, for keeping a body temperature yeah. at a certain level, for a heart beating, you know, for all, all the functions of our body. There's a lot of energy that goes into that. And we burn just by doing nothing, probably around 16, depends who you are, 16, 1700 calories, calories about 60, 60 to 75% of all the calories we burn come from doing nothing at all, just from functioning, from staying alive, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you think about that, if you're then, then you know, theoretically going in a calorie deficit under that, then you will lose weight. You don't need to be doing any exercise. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying don't do exercise, but I'm just saying it's very basic physiology there. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, right, the next one, a bit more controversial maybe, and the last one's very controversial. Right, this one, a shake a day keeps the weight away. A shake a day keeps the weight away. <laughs> so I think you're referring to this new, this ultra- Ultra processed, low calorie shake. So um, maybe this I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so this it. is this is essentially something that's been suggested that's going to be rolled out across the NHS as initial pilot scheme, and 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 basically this comes from a uh, randomized control trial published in the Lancet called Direct, which showed that of um, obese type two diabetics, yeah, who took this, who 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 adopted for three months eight hundred calorie a day diet, which consisted of shake and soups. Um, then followed by introduction of meal plans. After a year, almost 50% of them had had gone had sent their type 2 diabetes into remission. So that, to start with, sounds great, very hopeful. You know, we're talking about remission of type 2 diabetes when for years we were trained as doctors say that it wasn't reversible or you couldn't go to remission, it was chronic and irreversible. So there's a good thing from that. When you break down the data, um, there's a few issues. One is um, it was only obese people who were enrolled. And at least, and certainly in this country, 50% of people who have type 2 diabetes are not obese. They're normal BMI or have, are overweight. So the question is, is it going to apply to them? The second thing is that it's an ultra-processed shake. So by definition, anything that has more than five ingredients that is industrially produced and has additives or preservatives in it is ultra-processed. And we know that it also has an adverse effect on the gut microbiome and on the diversity wow. of gut bacteria. So yeah. there's also a mindset issue here. Is this, is this a way forward? And I'll come into alternatives in a, in a second. So there's 800 calories. The third thing, which is what, what I call in, in, in evidence-based medicine, we call it the external validity of, 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 a, of, a, of a trial. How useful is something in a control situation? How applicable is it to the real world? Well, it turns out only one in four people who were offered it, without an alternative, by the way, in the, you know, in the trial, for the trial specifically initially, actually then decided to go on the shake. Wow. So that means it's and then and then you're reporting on the results of the one in four that then you know took the shake for example who did it for three months to start with, which means that it isn't you know the the headlines of fifty percent of remission from this in the real world actually is more like best case scenario one in eight people 
<laughs> so there's got to be you know, slightly... If three out of four people saying there's no way I'm going to take it, I yeah. don't want to take this as my only meal for, for three months, then there's a problem, right, in terms of yeah. how useful yeah. this is, okay? I'm not saying it can't be used. I would say, you know, it may be helpful for certain people. Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. Certainly in that. The, 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 the other thing I'd say is we don't have any long-term data. Now, I, you can argue the case saying the same about your 21-day plan is no long-term data either, and that's absolutely fair. But, um, you know, the alternative is to tell people to go on what we call a real food, don't count calories, cut out the refined carbohydrates, something that, you know, David Unwin in the real world GP that you've interviewed before has data on in, you know, 150 of his patients, I think yeah. 82 or more than that, almost 50% of those have turned their type 2 into remission. Now, I'm sure there are a number of patients that, you know, David probably asked and maybe didn't want to go on the low carb. And of course, that's fine. But we should be giving patients options. I don't see this as a long-term plan. I think it will fail miserably. And if you're not giving people all the evidence and saying there's an alternative approach, then it's not just evidence. It's, it's, it's not in keeping with the evidence-based medicine. And it won't work. You're going to get bad outcomes overall. It's not going to be the way forward, in my view. Um, but, you know, let's see what happens. But no, I, I'm pretty sure that this is not going to be the answer to the type 2 diabetes epidemic. And I think the other thing, Dan, is let's also not forget, ultimately, it's a food environment problem we're dealing with. Half of the British diet is ultra-processed food. We need to educate people on that, but we also need, um, you know, we need the government to step in and protect people from those manipulations and excesses and, and regulate, you know, change the laws so that, you know, they, they basically aren't allowed to get away with misleading people, which is what the food industry have been doing for, for decades. Yeah, very profitably as well. Okay, well, the final one does actually relate to that completely. So again, this is a devil's advocate. Don't anyone quote me as saying that I agree with this statement. One cigarette does no harm. Let doctors enjoy one now and then during the COVID pandemic. And I can even take that further. What if a major tobacco firm was donating cigarettes to the staff at a hospital so they could just enjoy a cheeky cigarette? Of course, it does no harm, does it? Just one cigarette. Go. Yeah, so one cigarette will kill you, but it's, it's the issue is about over time, um, cigarettes, you know, cause considerable harm to health. So I would use that. I know why you've said this is a, in a provocative way. Um, I would apply that to ultra-processed food. There's a great example of Krispy Kreme Donuts, you know, um, who were using the NHS as a branding opportunity to give a free donation of 1,500 donuts How um, to one hospital trust, which I, I took issue with. Because it's already established, this isn't just a see. This is not a Seymour Hotra's view. This is the, the the view of the Medical Royal Colleges Academy. This is the BMA. They have already said that we should not be selling junk food in hospitals, and therefore there should not be a trust endorsing it. Now, does that mean that a doctor or nurse can't go and have you know sneak out or bring a, a donut in or whatever? And we're going to no, absolutely not. We're talking about what is the message that this is sending out about these sorts of foods. And certainly, we know that ultra processed food is at the root. Of, of many of the conditions that lead to adverse outcomes from COVID. So actually, you know, and even in the short term, if you can do something about it, if you're a type two diabetic, um, Dan, I would argue that, you know, theoretically, that actually these sorts of foods, if, you know, if they raise your blood glucose considerably and you are in the wrong place at the wrong time and you get COVID, it could actually be increasing your risk of death. We know that people yeah. who are admitted to hospital who are type two, whose blood glucose was out of control, you know, had a tenfold increased risk of death compared to type 2s whose blood glucose was better controlled. Now think about that, those foods in an individual type 2 diabetic who over a period of time may be stressed out, eating lots of junk food, glucose is off the, off the scale, and then they get COVID. Based on the data we've got, and we know that, you know, blood glucose in itself, high blood glucose, 
um, you know, infection thrives off hybrid glucose. You get worse outcomes, not just from COVID-19. And theoretically, okay, I can't point, pinpoint the specific trial to say for sure, yep. but if you put it all together, the likelihood is you're increasing your risk of death. Wow. So why is Krispy Kreme donuts donating the, you know, it, for me, it's, it's, it's nothing short of, uh, of an outrage. It's scandalous. Yeah, it's scandalous, yep. actually, more than the Krispy Kreme donuts donating it to an NHS trust. Is the NHS trust in question putting out a tweet and congratulating and endorsing and being happy about this donation from a company that doesn't care about your health? They're a profit-making business, for God's sake. Yep. They don't give one iota of a damn about your health. They're there to make money. Let's yep. not be naive about this. Next time on UK Low Carb. It so far has, has been shown in data that we have to be the highest risk of death and hospitalization. If you have metabolic syndrome and you have COVID-19, then you're three and a half times more likely to be to die compared to people that wow. don't have metabolic three syndrome. And and five That's times massive. more likely to be hospitalized. And that compared so if you compare that to obesity, obesity is only double the risk. Okay. Yep. And type 2 diabetes is double the risk on its own. Um, and uh, so metabolic syndrome is really what we should be focusing on. And to answer your question that you asked me initially, um, in terms of optimal metabolic health, data in the United States says suggests only one in eight adults have optimal wow. metabolic health. And it's likely our sim- – we haven't got data here specifically measuring it, but it's likely to be similar here. So probably around 80% of the UK adult population have excess body fat that starts to increase their risk of, of health conditions – 